Hello, I'm Alan Higgins, and this is the Design Talk Pod. In this episode, we chat with Sarah Irwin, legal counsel and founder of the ITGC, a practitioner community focused on the impact of technology on the legal industry and the role of legal in the tech sector. The talk was recorded in person with a live audience in UCD, Michael Smurf at Graduate School of Business on Thursday, the 30th of November, 2023. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie. And I'm Amun. And uh, we're delighted to have Sarah Irwin here to speak with us. Uh, Sarah is the founder of ITGC, the Irish Tech General Council Committee. So to start with, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's so great to, to meet you all on this your last day of, uh, of term. Um, I uh, I was born in Ireland. I grew up in England. I'm starting from the day I was born. <laughs> grew up in England and uh, moved back to Ireland nine years ago. I originally trained as a barrister uh, and then I cross-qualified as a solicitor in 2014 when the economy was kind of picking up again over here. Um, I worked as a corporate lawyer and I acted for mostly technology companies from uh, startup stage the whole way through to exit. And what I found was I adored working with startup founders in the technology space. It's kind of like, you know, you feel a bit like you're working in the future almost. Um, And I ended up working inside, I wanted to work inside one as an in-house lawyer and general counsel. And that's how I ended up at Tynes, uh, Irish cybersecurity uh, automation startup. So... When I started at Times two and a half years ago, I looked around Ireland for a cool community of in-house lawyers working at tech companies, bearing in mind at the time we had five tech unicorns here, right? Um, and I thought, right, there's, I, I knew there were people working in-house in those, and I thought, where is the community to unite us all, connect us so that we can knowledge share? Um, but also, when you work in-house as a lawyer, the legal team in any company is always the smallest. Even if you're a massive multinational of 400,000 people globally, legal is always the smallest team, right? So anyway, I couldn't find one, couldn't find this magic community. So I decided to set one up myself. Um, and I originally thought it'll be me, it'll be my friends. You know, I have a friend of mine is head of legal at Flipdish, uh, and I, I know some other in-house lawyers at tech companies. Cool, the five of us will go for a glass of wine every few weeks, and we can share war stories and notes on basically leading an, a legal function from an Irish tech company that's you know scaling into the U.S., an absolutely enormous market and overseas, and yet. Something told me to check at times with our head of content. We have a really great marketing team there and our design team to design a logo and just figure out what the branding was, what the messaging was, what my mission was and who I was trying to reach. So I did. I spent a few months working on that. And then when I launched, I was inundated with interest from other in-house lawyers, not just working in technology. It's it's mostly tech. It's about 72% tech, um, but tech adjacent like pharma, Uh, banks, financial institutions, retail. And, you know, so I very quickly opened membership to anyone working, you know, in any in any sector. But of course, that was that I did that because I'm generally very the more the merrier type person, you know, very inclusive. I don't want to say no to anyone. Getting a career in law is kind of exclusive enough as it is, you know, and I wanted to make sure that anyone could join and not just GCs. I wanted it to be people of, um, you know, from sort of one year qualified onwards. So, yeah. And it's funny now, fast forward two years 
And regardless of your sector, tech is what unites everyone. And that was kind of always the case with GDPR being, you know, sort of from a privacy perspective, all in-house lawyers had that as a headache to grapple with in terms of regulation. But now we have the forthcoming AI Act. We have generative AI that's out there. Um, and there are, you know, technology is truly something that unites all in-house lawyers, regardless of whether or not you work at a technology company. So, yeah, so so I brought the community, I created the community to connect these in-house lawyers so that they could knowledge share, feel less isolated at work, um, and also, you know, be modern legal uh, business leaders, right? So not this kind of hated department of no and just talking about risk all the time. You know, lawyers actually are very strong business leaders. We're not really, we're not really developed in the early years to to understand that. You know, um, but uh, yeah. So that was really how the the community came about. That was a really great insight. You know, starting your career in a place where you from born from, and you know, starting all the legal things. So you know, people here are not much aware about the jargons or the terminology that you know you stated something about lawyers, counsel, legal counsel, general counsel, or GDPR. So would you please elaborate on that so that everyone? Just yeah, absolutely. So look, we all know about law firms. We've all seen Suits or one of those American. <laughs> You know, that's where we all get our, our biases and, and stereotypes of lawyers from. And you tend to think about law firms, solicitors, partners, associates, right? So when you work in-house, the most senior lawyer um, is, well, there's a variety of titles across the UK, Ireland and uh, the US. Um, typically, the traditional title is general counsel. And, it, you know, there's a very deliberate reason why GC, general counsel, is the most senior lawyer. It's because you helicopter over, a, you know, you're a generalist. You're, you know, you, you could be advising on anything day in, day out. Um, there's a new, a new title of CLO, so a C-suite position for a lawyer, chief legal officer. And I love that. I love the fact that people, you know, CEOs get now that lawyers are such strong business leaders. They deserve a seat at the, you know, C-suite table. And it's great for women, too, because the majority or, you know, good good portion of women move in-house and become general counsel. And the next thing, they're actually CLOs and sitting in a meeting with, you know, other C-suite, uh, like the CFO or the CEO. So, yeah. And then in the U.S., they have uh, confu still confuses me. There's there's a senior VP, vice president, of, or senior VP of legal and then VP of legal. And, yeah, I get a bit confused because everyone in American companies seem to be VP of something. <laughs> so, um, but traditionally it's GC and then um, you can make up titles from their lead counsel. Uh, if you're lead employment counsel or, you know, commercial contracts counsel or product counsel, uh, that typically tends to be. The naming convention. And uh, what do you think the key things are that a tech startup needs to, to look out for from a legal perspective? Yeah, so I think initially it's practical things like building a fast, efficient legal function. When you're a tech startup, your priority is bringing in revenue. So, and at the very end of a deal cycle, when you're selling to a customer, you know, that's when things land in legal. And if you don't have a fast... Uh, moving part of that deal cycle, things will slow down. So you need to think about speed. You need to be optimizing your legal processes for speed. You can do that through outsourcing to alternative legal solutions providers so they can redline all your contracts for you really quickly. It tends to be quite repetitive. You typically redline the same things in contracts. 
Um, so it's closing those commercial contracts really fast, leveraging technology as well, automating certain things within your contracts, getting them all digitized so that you can use AI to track uh, certain clauses and risk and, and so on in your contracts. Um, and then, of course, you also need to think about being compliant with legislation and regulations to even bring your product to market in the first place. So if you have some cool tool and you've just decided to, you know, integrate generative AI into that, you need to start thinking now about, you know, there's already a suite of AI provisions in GDPR, the General um, Data Protection Regulation, that deals with AI and being compliant. Um, and we've got this whole new act coming down the tracks as well. So, uh, yeah, so, so I'd say those are the two main things we don't really talk about it enough in startups about ensuring your product is compliant um, product teams tend to move ahead very fast and want to bring something to market very fast so so you're really thinking about that and then you're thinking about setting up a fast infrastructure so that you can sell quickly as well there's a real speed uh, theme of speed there isn't isn't there in what I was saying and it's interesting that you mentioned alternative legal service providers yeah they're, they're they've become very very popular because they are a cost-effective way of um, enabling, freeing up time of in-house lawyers to work on higher value work. So a lot of what you do around contracts is, re you know, it's very boring and repetitive, right? Uh, and ALSPs are a fantastic way of outsourcing that flexible legal talent. Um, and it saves you a lot of time, saves you from burning out, you know, a big source of burnout when you work in-house. Uh, it, as a lawyer is having to do the same thing over and over under pressure and that, you know, that can get really stressful. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of those being used here and in the US as well. If you could speak a little bit about technology disruption in the legal sector, the legal industry itself, um, I think that would be very interesting. I could talk about this all day. I'm so passionate about legal tech and legal operations generally as a discipline, right? So legal technology is invariably, we talk a lot about CLM, contract lifecycle management tools. And so they're designed to digitize your contracts um, and that all the tools are a platform to integrate a contract from the CRM, the kind of Salesforce stage, the whole way through to DocuSign. Um, and really so that business users can collaborate with in-house lawyers um, you know, within one platform. So it's a really exciting time to work in-house. You know, finally people are designing technology for lawyers and that's so, so exciting. Um, so half the time it's, you know, you're kind of trying to balance managing risk with, uh, you know, your excitement of being able to automate and use AI to uh, improve efficiencies within the contract lifecycle management process. But there are tools for other things as well, right, like um, legal spend management uh, and also legal intake, you know, how the businesses can come and um, instruct in-house lawyers to, to, to begin with, which can be chaotic if you don't have that in place. Uh, so, like, this is a personal question. So, like, uh, here we are, like, studying digital innovation and, you know, tech. So, uh, how can we break into this field? Uh, let's say a role of a privacy engineer, or if we are not into, you know, the legal side, but, you know, we have some sort of experience and we bring in tech to this field. Oh, that's a great question. So, what do you mean? So, how could you uh, because, become yeah, lawyers? Because not the lawyers, like... Because we definitely need more. <laughs> not the lawyers, like... Uh, in general, like, uh, because we have a tech background, we can understand the business and then, you know, we can leverage that uh, knowledge, uh, you know, and create some good products within the legal and the tech, combining both of them. Yeah, sorry, so, so what do you mean? Like, actually get a job in, yeah. in le at a legal tech company or something yeah. like that? Oh, wow, I don't know. I suppose, 
leverage your network, you know, ask people that operate in that space, reach out to HR teams of, of, of you know, legal tech companies. I don't know, I'm gonna have to come actually on that one. If I could weigh in there as well, I think it, it would really be about getting um, sort of cross-disciplinary training or understanding and law firms are organizations at the end of the day so you know i think there's a lot that can be done with technology in marketing for example or in managing data you don't necessarily have to be a lawyer to be involved in that and and law firms have so much data that's so true and marketing teams as well actually you know one of the first things i had to work on when i moved in house was you know, how many times can you can you spam people with emails? No, you know, and, and how do you manage all of that data for sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, any questions from the audience? Oh, yes. Abhishek here. Which side of the business do you feel is more complicated in terms of uh, legalities? Is it internal teams or is it with respect to customers? Um, I would say engineering and product because those are the functions that really they're probably the furthest removed from being a lawyer and your legal training and having to kind of completely forget you're a lawyer and try and put your sort of STEM hat on. And, you know, lawyers typically we're wordsmiths. We became lawyers because words are our thing, not numbers, not science, you know, so probably it's probably more complex in so far as um, it's not squarely within your, you know, your expertise or comfort zone in that respect. Oh, Alan here. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, what about uh, a funding life cycle for a startup going through different sta stages of, of its growth? Um, legal get involved in all of that for sure yeah absolutely so typically um you'll get a, an in-house lawyer involved in a funding round uh, again around about the series a stage definitely series b um you tend to outsource it to a law firm be up but before that because you just can't afford to hire a you know a lawyer it's not a priority you need to be getting you know people in your product team engineers sellers people on the sales team right before you before you need to hire a lawyer technically but yeah we play a really key part in that um and if you do if you are lucky enough to have an in-house lawyer we can close your funding round really quickly because you know we know what we're doing more so than founders sort of scrabbling to figure out what due diligence is and how is that different from disclosure and why i feel like i'm doing the same thing again ah you know so yeah you will always need a, a lawyer, whether it's external or internal. Um, but yeah, we increasingly play a really, a really key part uh, as as a company grows and, and, and matures. Yeah, in funding rounds too. Hi, I'm Subhashini, and I just came across something while I was surfing. I saw something called ChatGPT AI for law. So perhaps a, a, a generic question. So have you ever come across something like this, and how do you keep no upskilling yourself because law is such a wide concept and then when it comes to IT or perhaps anything when it's a general counsel you need a lot of knowledge for that yeah great question uh, you know lawyers like everyone else are still figuring out how to leverage chat GPT you know how to make it your friend you know and it's it's crucial to understand that you know the right prompts are where it's at but also you then are the one that needs to validate the information that, that it, it's generating so um, yeah we're, we're still trying to figure that out um, it's an interesting one. AI and generative AI in particular are they're, they're, they're interesting for in-house lawyers or any lawyers, really, because on the one hand, 
you know, you, you officially you have to think about risk. Uh, you have to think about advising your clients if they are using AI within their product, especially generative AI because it's so new. And then on the other hand, you know, especially as an in-house lawyer, you're thinking, well, there are so many cool tools out there that I can use this to do my job faster. Which one shall I pick? You know, so there's kind of two sides to it. There's the scary, risky side um, and then the massively exciting side. Okay, thanks. And I guess I would add to that as well that they, they, these um, chat GPT or the versions for lawyers are using client data to train the, the generative AI. And as lawyers, we have a lot of restrictions because we're regulated about what we can do with our client data. So that's another issue that comes up, sort of ethical obligations to clients. Yeah, there's, there's just... Yeah, there's just a huge amount to have to navigate and we're only at the tip of the iceberg too as well. So it's, you know, on the one hand, it's another headache, but but on the other hand, it's it's another potential way to do your job just so much more efficiently. Alan, here, here again. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a little again, uh, well, I like this idea that you, you have of the, uh, there's the risky side and then there's this huge upside or potential. Um, what's exciting about the this, this new set of tools yeah and I suppose this point comes back to ooh, AI is going to replace lawyers it's going to replace us all well it's not it's going to replace this ultra boring repetitive mundane work that um, you don't really want to be doing so I was I actually did a demo this morning with a really exciting California uh, CLM software company they're post series A they're at that inflection point where they're about to really explode onto the scene um, and they were telling me they use AI Say when a red line, a contract comes back red line from, from your counterparty, they use AI to generate a RAG report, right? So red, amber, green. So you can, you don't even have to read the 45 page contract. AI will tell you the list of things, you know, and you you can train it on your playbook for, you know, what your, your appetite for risk on different types of uh, issues within a contract. And that's really exciting, right? To, to think great, I don't have to read every single word of a 45-page contract. I can just interpret the report. And I mean, obviously, there's your appetite for risk. There's risk within that too, right? You either, you know, do you actually want to read the contract as well? You know, probably yes, if it's a very high value, dollar value contract, but probably not if it's like a 10 grand, 10K contract or something quite low value compared to, say, you know, 3 million. Um, could you give us a quick sketch of the landscape of intellectual property from, I suppose, trademarks right through to copyrights, just to sort of... Yeah, and that is something you should be thinking about very early on, but you kind of end up having to do it yourself. So, you know, as a technology company, your biggest asset is your IP. It's your product. It's your invention. Um, and you need to start thinking about as other elements of it that I need to patent, especially in markets like the US. They're very sort of into patenting everything and more litigious as a market as well. So more likely to sue if there's an infringement or, or do you need to trademark it and, and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something you need to think about early on and absolutely once you get an in-house lawyer so they can, you know, proper, properly do that for you. And then beyond that, when, you know, as a business, probably thinking about IP infringement as well and making sure that your product, you know, is designed so that to, to minimize the risk of third party IP infringements as well. So there's different elements to it. Um, but you certainly early on do need to be thinking about about protecting your IP for sure. 
so we see like big companies like meta google you know they have like big fines on them so what do you think where did they lack yeah look though gdpr is targeted at b2c customers that process billions and billions and billions and billions of you know personal data of, of individual consumers um it can for that reason be a headache when you work in a b2b company because it is more tailored to, to that you know i can't speak for any big tech um all i know is that we live in a country that has a very active regulatory body um we've just set up another one for ai um so you know it's uh yeah i did, it's a, it's a tough one um and i know they have big teams that are working around the clock to make sure that they don't get get slapped with another fine as well yeah. um related to that uh, topic of of ireland and its situation within europe and and housing some of the key regulators um does ireland have any advantage or or key capabilities in this space um in a legal sense to be a sort of uh supplier of legal services for European Yeah it's an interesting one especially post Brexit because we're now the only English speaking country in the EU so we we have most of the top pharma and tech companies here so that brings with it legal talent that can you know help businesses navigate those challenges and then the other side of that is the regulatory piece so we have to be at the top of our game in 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 regulating um especially big tech and big pharma when it comes to data protection so we probably are well well positioned for that do you feel that our government is conflicted on those issues given that these these companies are employing so many people here and paying so much in taxes and then our regulators will certainly been alleged that they're under-resourced on these issues and maybe a bit softer on these companies than other european countries regulations great, great might be yeah great question amory i don't know i feel like a pol- i feel like i'm on news night now or something <laughs> Um I I really don't know it certainly doesn't seem like they're going soft on 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 these companies. I see Helen yeah. Helen Dixon is leaving. She is yeah. yeah yeah I mean she's she certainly I wouldn't be surprised if she was exhausted and uh, just right you know she's quite, done a, yeah. she's done a good job for a long yeah. what feels like a very long time. Yeah. Um yeah so we're wishing her all the best and I don't know who her successor will be. Um but yeah it's like it's a you need to be a tough person yeah. in that role especially because you're so you you know you're in the public eye all the time and you know Abhishek here again um so one of the uh, topics we were focusing on is global digital compact where um the entire aim is to make uh, internet or data in a sense more inclusive and uh, uh, accessible one of the issues that is trying to resolve is regulations when we talk about gdpr or new laws being added into gdpr so it's different countries have different privacy laws regulations surveillance situations right so there's never going to be one global type of data protection law you know gdpr is kind of the gold standard in terms of being pro individual um so yeah so so there's a few things as an in-house lawyer working for a western tech company you're always navigating the differences when you're selling a product and how you process that data and if you send that you know that data back to a country that has say inadequate for the purposes of GDPR data protection uh laws and 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 an environment then there are extra things you have to do to to protect that personal data so it's kind of difficult uh i i don't think we'll ever reach a stage where di- each 
each country on the planet has the same data protection laws, you know, because politics and policies are, are very, very different. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, Sepashni again, so I just have this question out of curiosity. When do you think is the right time to bring, bring a law firm or the legal person while we are starting to develop something, perhaps a software or a product, when do you think is the right time? Because there are several stages, including planning requirement, you know, so many things. I think, I think up to a certain point, you can rely on, you know, your teachers, or if you're at an incubator, you'll have these experts that will be able to help you. And then, of course, you know, you know more than you realize yourself. I don't think you really need to start thinking about hiring your own lawyer until you're you know until you're making a decent amount of money have have some investment it's not something that you can probably afford to do super early on um it would it would generally be until you know after you've you've taken in some investment from angels or friends and family mm, okay thank you very much sarah it's been a pleasure and we'll leave it there thanks for having me thank you for listening please follow and share if you like the pod Music is Voltaic Fluctuations by Ben Prunty and used with his permission. 